You're listening to the Super Coin Brothers Podcast, brought to you by the Super Coin Brothers at Sahara Coins in Las Vegas. What's up, guys? It has been a while, but we're back with the Super Coin Bros podcast, and it's Ray and Thomas here, and uh, we've got we've got a topic that really this one just kind of came out of left field because of some stuff we bought. Uh, we bought a, a deal from a customer. I had them sitting on my desk. They're all individual coins from multiple hordes, which you guys know we've we've already discussed, like the Redfield hoard and a few others. And uh, we started researching these hordes to talk to you guys about them, and realized that. There's a giant horde we haven't talked about. Well, I feel like it was a, a, a decision on entertainment value because the other hordes that we were looking at, and, and what were their names real quick? You have the Treasury Horde, the Continental Horde, the Redfield Horde, and the Casino Horde. Which are cool hordes uh, by themselves, but uh, they pale in comparison to one of the most entertaining and, and just ludicrous stories that Las Vegas has to offer about the Binion Horde. Bum, bum, bum. Wait. I could totally insert that. Can I do like, should, should I stop like doing that? sound effects? Yeah, I can totally add them. I feel like, I feel like this conversation about sound effects should probably get cut out too, but I don't, I don't think you're going to do it, are you? I'm not. No. I'm going to leave it. Wow. All yeah, right. That's all good. In the future, it will be other sound effects. Perfect. <laughs> so yeah, guys, we're going to, we're going to fill you guys in a little bit on the Binion Horde. Now, really more so than just the coins, which we'll get into a little bit about the coins. The story behind the Binion Horde, I feel like it's left out a lot uh, when people come in the store. And what do you always hear? You just hear like, hey, uh, you got any of those Binion coins? This crazy guy had a bunch of silver buried in a hole. Yeah, that's about the gist of it. So there's a lot more than just a hole uh, in the desert (laughs) and some coins that have to do with this. We're getting ahead of it. We're going to cover where that hole is located, why it was so insane that somebody's out there with a backhoe digging things up, and then... uh, yeah. So, but we gotta we gotta set this thing up. Yeah, we're gonna give you guys the backstory on this whole thing. So, a lot of you know that the the Binion family uh, was here in Las Vegas, but most of you don't know how they ended up in Las Vegas. And they started in Texas. They did specifically in Dallas, right? Yeah, and that would have been Benny Benny Binion, which was the the father of Ted Binion. Um, and I know there was some some issues there with the law that essentially they had come to him and he was going to be arrested. So he said, "I'm packing up my two million dollars and I'm heading to Las Vegas." And that was that was some uh, some syndicate crime family mobster stuff that was he was getting his fingers in down there, right? But but Ted, the son, he he was just a little guy at that little point. guy at that point, and then they moved out here to Vegas to get away from the bad stories of Dallas. Right, and that was in 1946, uh, and that's when they headed to Vegas. And so his father, let's get the names clear real quickly because this is an easy one to trip up on. His father was Benny Binion, and that is a lot of you know a lot about Benny Binion. You know, there's Benny Binion silver rounds, there's things like that that we've had in the store. So uh, Benny Binion was his father. He relocated here with his two million dollars. And this is kind of baffling to me. Two million dollars, and he purchased two casinos. <laughs> yeah. yeah, about that. I, I'm pretty sure that the bathroom in the win is worth two million dollars. I'm just saying that he might have had dark money before there was dark money. There's, there's a good <laughs> chance. But he purchased two of them, combined them into one, and basically that is what we now know as the Horseshoe. And for those of you that are not familiar with Las Vegas, that is still currently running. Um, it's on Fremont Street, so it's in downtown or what is considered old Las Vegas. Ooh, which uh, can be quite the freak show after 9 o'clock. That's true. If you like people watching, that, 
that's where you need to go. Uh, it's it's an experience, uh, one that some only need once. <laughs> yeah, not the truth. So as a kid, though, I mean, or a young guy, I wouldn't say a kid. I'm sure there was no four-year-old kid running around a casino. But uh, Ted Benignano had worked kind of odd jobs around the casino as he was growing up. Um, while his dad was running things, which any other industry, you start as a warehouse guy, work your way up to sales. Like that's that's impressive that you learn every job that there is out there. Uh, when you're in with casino life, it's a very different education. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Because <laughs> like he, uh, let's see here. Now he's doing the odd jobs, and then he gets or, or Big Dad Betty Binion. He gets control of the casino. After. No, so basically, when he was working the odd jobs, T- Ted Benny was working odd jobs while his dad was running the casino. Um, and then what ended up happening was his dad ran into issues uh, with tax evasion. There was also some other things going on there, some other criminal charges. And he had lost control of the casino. Basically, uh, he had to essentially... He gained control back in 1964 of the casino. Because he had to pay for the lawyers, right? So you liquidate a little of your investment. Correct. He's not responsible, but then now he used his money to get the, the casino back in his right. name. Okay. Right. So now that daddy's got the casino back, you know, things were, were getting a little funky there. But uh, at the end of all of that, his dad still ended up basically being a convicted criminal because he was convicted for some of his crimes. And, well, based on the laws that we have here, if you are a convicted criminal, you can't own a casino. That is tough. So all those legal fees, selling it, all the trouble he went through, and he still basically lost. Yeah, the gaming commission stepped in like, hey, guess what, buddy? You're not allowed to hold a gaming license anymore, so what are you going to do now? That's bad news. Yeah. So essentially what ended up happening, his his kids, he had Jack Binion and Ted Binion. Uh, they were young. They were Jack was 23, Ted was 21, uh, and they ended up taking over the main, you know, the main chunk of operations. I believe it was Jack who took over uh, the actual casino operations and became the president of the horseshoe. Uh, and his brother, I think, was it the casino manager. Okay, so like, I'm not entirely sure how the hierarchy of, of casino operations work, but are you basically telling me that the older brother took on all the paperworky hard parts of the job and that the younger brother got to be the mater d' front of the house, wheeling and dealing, whining and dining, having fun guy? Yes. Well, I would definitely want to be that. That's exactly right. Because, <laughs> I mean, and that's one of the things that was said by, by dealers and everybody else in the casino that, that Ted pretty much did become the face of the casino uh, and would just always be hanging out with the high-profile guests, partying with them, you know, hitting on all the pretty ladies, of course. Hold on. Let me just... That's the weakest of, of, of games right there when you're just like, hey, ladies, you want to hang out? I own the casino. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty easy in that point. Yeah, like, hey, I'm hanging out with all the uh, celebrities that are here, by the way. You want to hang out with me? Yeah, sure. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. There's yeah. definitely some drugs in there, too. That's true. So... <laughs> It, and that came in. I mean, that came into play. I mean, in 1986, um, that's where Ted started facing some legal issues. Yeah. Now, the 80s, I often hear referred to as, if you can remember the 80s, you didn't have enough cocaine. Is that is that a fair description of the 80s? And that's probably exactly how his 80s went. <laughs> Especially in Vegas, yeah. right? <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Well, he had been picked up and arrested on drug trafficking charges. Oh, ah, there it is. Yeah. So here's the deal. You get picked up on one thing, and they're going to start looking at you a little closer. Especially if you're in charge of a casino. Like, you're no longer just some schmuck or some guy who has a lot of money. Now you're one of those guys that's, you know, representing your town. Like, you got... That's bad. Yeah. So, he ends up basically being found out by the Nevada Gaming Commission uh, that he was kind of attached and connected, so to speak, 
to Mr. Fat Herbie uh, Blitzstein or Blitzstein. What are we going with here? We're going to go Blitzstein on Blitzstein. this one. S-T-E-I-N. I'm going to say Steen. Yes. If I'm wrong, feel free to leave that in the comments. Nowhere, nowhere would I want to Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so with a connection like that, I mean, that's kind of a that's that's kind of a big thing when it comes to gaming. Can I? I'm just going to throw a little little side job in this. I had no idea who Fat Herbie Blitzstein is, and so I did uh, just a quick search on him. You know, I want to see like an image search. What's the face of the guy that got Ted Binion in trouble, right? Turns out he looks he looks in his younger years a lot like Zach Galifianakis if he were in the mob. <laughs> that, yeah. Like slicked you know, back hair, you're right. big cigarette, just walking yeah. the beard. Like he could have a baby strapped to his chest. It, it would be the same guy. Carlos. He would have Carlos, <laughs> yes. Well, one of the interesting things, too, we both started kind of looking into this guy. And uh, basically he was he was tied to the, the Chicago outfit, right? And he was essentially like the Las Vegas branch. So... He's a lieutenant, right? Essentially, like he is. Yeah, he, that's that's up there. But the person he was also tied to and known to hang out with was called the Ant or Tony Spilatro. And for those of you that aren't real big movie buffs, let's kind of tie this together. If you've seen the movie Casino, which is based on true events, Tony Spilatro was was actually Nicky Santoro in the movie Casino. That's Joe Pesci's character. The enforcer. The little enforcer. The crazy guy. Yeah, the crazy guy <laughs> who likes to use certain four-letter words like nine million times in a matter of about I don't know, six now, minutes in that. For quality control, we're going to prohibit ourselves from quoting him directly. <laughs> yes, that is also correct. But kind of an interesting tie there when you start digging into that, that, uh, you know, in that time period there, that would have been, in, you know, the, the between the 70s to, to early 90s. Uh, the, the tie there is, is really interesting because it just ties into lots of information uh, and things you can watch on Casino. Now I want to go back and watch Casino and see if I could see, like, Things that I'm like, wait a minute, maybe that was, anyways, that's was that a whole other rabbit hole. Was that the guy who got the fur coat? Yeah, exactly. That's the thing I, I'm wondering. Like, I if it is. Curious. Yeah. No, I, okay, I know what I'm See? doing. Tonight. Now you're going to be doing that. Yep. So, <laughs> aside from Ted's drug problem and his connection problem, which I don't know if that would have been a problem at the time, but being connected with mob figures, the gaming control board basically uh, looked into him a little further and also suspected of him using his live in girlfriend as a bag woman. Now, this live-in girlfriend, this was Ted's girlfriend, right? Yes. So she was the one who was working at the Cheetah's Gentleman Club when they met. Can I just throw in there that every time I hear that word, I think of the commercial because I hear it all the time, and they just go, Cheetah's. And it, yeah, it, anyways, go ahead. I, I don't watch Sticks commercials anymore. Hear commercials. Oh, oh, hear. The radio. The, the radio. radio. Yes. No, sorry. That's streaming. Yeah. yeah. Welcome back to 1994. Oh, the 90s when they had commercials. Okay. Uh, yeah, no. So this chick was a stripper that I'm guessing, unless yes. she was a waitress. Nope. At which point? She was a dancer. She was a dancer. Uh, and then she is now in trouble helping him move money around or something like that? Essentially, yeah. A bag woman is, I mean, picture those movies that you see where, like, the main boss is kind of hanging out, basically tells him to go grease somebody else for such and such. Mm-hmm. That was her. Oh, man. She was the she was the manila envelope person. Okay, so now let's, let me just see if I got this right. So Ted, the son of... Of Benny, and mm-hmm. Benny was in trouble with some mobster type folks. Right. You would think he would learn a few things, but instead, Ted gets in trouble with the drugs, so he's taking his own stash, which is no good. Uh, and then he lets his lady do the legwork, yeah. right? Yeah. Now, that seems. That seems like if there's a job worth doing, you should do it yourself. Why let her do it unless. You well, and backing her. up to something you just said, you said he let his lady do the legwork. Yeah. Well, his estranged wife was still here with his daughter. Oh, 
that's awkward. And this kind of pushed them out the door. So at that point, they kind of packed their stuff and headed back to Texas. Yeah. So now I guess the bag woman is his lady. Oh, the bag woman is the lady. Okay. Yeah. Kind of an interesting, uh, an interesting run on things. But this all, it didn't just end. I mean, it continued and continued and caused more trouble. Um, and what ended up happening uh, was now we're pushing forward a few years. Would have been in 1996. Uh, the commission essentially came back at him again, and they provisionally banned him from management in the horseshoe at all. Now they banned him and they made it mandatory for him to have to take drug tests. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. And that's only just for the suspension. Now this is a great little Easter egg of a story bit here. Cause this guy who knew about interactions with the police and the mob and uh, drug tests and all of that. And like he had an understanding of how it all worked. Right. So he knew about this hair follicle test. Cause if you have drugs in your system, that's one test. But if you have drugs in your hair, that's a different test. It's essentially the history, the history. of your use. And it's yeah. a long history. It yeah. goes back a long time, depending on how long your hair is. So this guy, rocket scientist that he is came up with a genius plan to just shave every hair off of his body every <laughs> hair off of his body if you've seen the movie uh, powder <laughs> essentially see, that's what i see now i thought he was joining a swim team or something and gonna do like an alternative business plan but no he's just getting rid of the drugs here yeah trying yeah, badly yeah it didn't work this never works by the way in case <laughs> anyone was listening on yeah. how to be a better drug user that's not our goal don't uh, shave your body and don't shave your body yeah, yeah. Clearly, it didn't work because in May of 1997, his gaming license was completely suspended. (laughs) The gaming board basically found that he violated his agreement, whether it was just the drugs or the drugs and the connection. uh, I'm I'm pretty sure it was both. There was an article I read briefly there from uh, 98. It was uh, like March of 98. So they talked about his business in 97, and it was his connection to Fat Herbie there that got him into trouble. At least that's the only thing they referenced in the article. So yeah, I did read that he was he was they found out he was connected still to Fat Herbie. So the board basically held a hearing. They voted, and his license, it was it was unanimous. They all voted that his license uh, had to be revoked. So that kind of stirred some things up because, okay, his license is revoked. We get that. But here's where it gets interesting. He's been in the casino business his whole life, essentially. And it's a family business. Right. So he's been putting silver away. He's been putting away dollars that were coming through. He's been putting away you know, Carson City stuff. He's been putting away silver. He's been putting all this stuff away. Now, you or I would put it away in our safe at our house or in our safety deposit box. He puts it away in the basement of the casino. Now, that would be a family perk because you got storage that's industrial strength and large. Like, what are we talking about size-wise? Like, this is what... uh... Well, basically, first, before we even get to the size, I mean, when that happened, they gave him two options. They said, look, you can either sell all your stuff that you have in the basement of your casino or you can relocate it. And so he chose to relocate it. Now, we're not talking about call your friends, offer them a six-pack, and tell them, help me move some stuff in your pickup truck. There is not a pizza party large enough in the world to justify asking your friends to move this much silver. Yeah. Basically, it was ridiculous. He he had to contract a company to help him because he had over six tons of silver bullion and something like 100,000 rare coins, a bunch of casino memorabilia, tokens, uh, chips, paper money, all kinds of stuff that he had in there uh, that he had to move. My goodness. Could you imagine the horde? Like, like, 
people bringing you the silver all day at a casino. You're just working a little a little exchange factory there. You're just you're just collecting. You're you're. Yeah. I mean, that's insane. Yeah, dollar for dollar, and, and then you're 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 storing gems. And you say six tons. I don't know if you people understand visually or, or mentally. If you wrap your head around with the ideas of six tons, it's uh it's twelve thousand pounds, or and I looked this up. That weighs more than the uh, the original Optimus Prime. I'm going to go ahead and make a, a nerd reference here. because You make that reference, and I'll say that it weighs just over two 65 Cadillac DeVille stacked on top of each other. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just going to throw that out there. <laughs> all right. All right. I see where our references are coming from. Yeah, exactly. But uh, either way you put it, it's like 192,000 ounces of silver. And if you did that at the spot price, just ballparking at $16.11, What's that final number? Yeah, that's $3,093,120 just in silver bullion. And I'll let everyone at home believe that he can do that kind of math in his head. Uh, So then we had... uh, Oh, he can. Oh, he can. (laughs) (laughs) So he he had contracted, like we said, to get that moved. He had to contract a company, and he went through MRT Transportation, which was owned by Rick Tabish. Uh, And the deal is this. He had him and his company, they helped him move it. And old Rick over there was given the code to the vault. Um, the only two people that knew the code to that vault were Rick and Ted. And Rick comes into this how? How does he know Ted other than just the move? Or that's it? Okay. As far as this, this relationship started, as far as we know, as a contract to move his stuff. And now here's another thing, too. What you had is somebody taking something safe from the casino and moving it to a private built bunker at, at in Pahrump in Pahrump now for those of you that aren't familiar with Las Vegas Las Vegas sits in a valley Pahrump is on the other side of a hill and that is where the uh, the homes of uh, fireworks let's just say fireworks we'll go fireworks yeah. but the thing that people say and this is going to you're going to understand where I was going with that when when somebody says oh you're going to Pahrump usually they say oh, you're going <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Over the hump to Pahrump oh. to get some rump. That uh, is the saying here in Las Vegas because many of you have seen the shows on like HBO, like Cat House, things like that. Well, that's where that's located is Pahrump. So. See, I always thought Pahrump just had the fireworks where everybody goes to see things pop off. And a Walmart. <laughs> and a Walmart. Specifically, yeah. though, by the way, you got to Google this Walmart. I don't know if you've ever Google mapped this Walmart before, but if you were looking at the satellite picture and you just just put into Google Maps uh, Walmart Pahrump, uh, what you're going to see is this goofy little square of land between civilization and uh, it's got a lawn or two lawns on there but the lawns are not lined up with the property lines mm-hmm. they're like askew and so it really just looks like somebody failed at Minecraft and that failed <laughs> Minecraft location is the property that Binion owned right yeah. behind Walmart <laughs> granted Walmart was probably not there then but that is where these uh, this underground vault which from what I had found it was something like 12 feet deep um, it was huge so uh, but yeah that's where that would have been so it was kind of an interesting an interesting place to take your stuff but that's where he had put it and the only people like I say that knew how to get into it were him and uh, the gentleman that owned the transportation company mm, nice so nice. he moves his stuff he lives his life for a little while at least uh, and on September 17th 1998 Old Teddy was found dead in his home here in Las Vegas with empty pill bottles around his body, uh, you know, all kinds of stuff that just was, you know, oddly placed. Um, And an autopsy showed that the cause of death was a combination of Xanax, heroin, and Valium. 
That is quite the cocktail right there. I'm, yeah. I'm not entirely sure I would recommend one of those for anybody. Yeah, no. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> true. Well, and I know they, they basically, you know, they start investigating it, and they find out that the day before, Bannon had, per- had purchased 12 pieces of tar heroin from a street dealer, and he had filled a prescription of Xanax that his neighbor, who happened to be a doctor, wrote for him. Okay. Now, I've heard of friendly neighborhood doctors before, but, like, that is ridiculous. Because those Xanax things, you should not mess with those. Yeah. No, that's one of those things that, that you hear a lot about. But mixing Xanax with Valium and heroin, there's yeah. that's that's quite the... That's a deadly combination. Clearly. Clearly. Yeah. So, in that same time period, uh, Binion's vault, it was discovered two days after his death. So, the guy dies. They find all this stuff there. Two days later... You have the Nye County Sheriff's Department. They go out. They find this vault. And guess what? They end up arresting Rick Tabish and two other men that were out there trying to get the silver out of the vault. Now, as I heard this story, they're out there with heavy equipment Mm -hmm. digging this 12-foot thing out and trying to get to what basically is what? Like $7 uh, $14 million worth of stuff. Yeah. And this dude, Rick Tabish, he knew everything that was in that vault because he helped move it. Yeah, he knew the code to get into it. And the code. Oh, my God. Gosh. So basically, the moral story is don't trust your mover. Pretty much. Okay. Well, and it goes even further because they end up speaking to. So the police end up speaking to Sandy Murphy, who was his girlfriend, the one that he met at the strip club. Uh, she tries to put off that, oh, he's been so suicidal since, you know, since he lost his gaming license and he's been so, you know, down and talking about it. Now, this all made sense because family history, there was a brother that had also committed suicide earlier in life. There was lots of, you know, drug issues and things like that throughout the family. Um, so it was one of those where, I mean, it seems like a pretty solid uh, alibi to me, you, you know. You know, if this dude did not have one dime or one ounce of silver to his name, I would think that that girl could have just said that and it would be done. And that would be like, yeah. oh, on face value, I'll take this story. We're right. good. But money is always the motive. It is always the motive, especially for millions of dollars. I know people who'd run over their own mother for the right $10,000. Right. You know what I mean? Like You, you don't have nice friends. Jeez. Well, I hang out with a rough crowd in my uh, nerd school. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> oh, you're talking about GTA. Got it. Yeah, right. no, it's online grandmothers. It's not real Oh, good. Yeah, no. see, there we go. <laughs> so... Ted's sister kind of came into things and, and pointed out that her brother never sounded despondent at any point. So there was, it just didn't line up. It didn't seem right uh, that her brother would, would commit suicide. Um, and I, I can, I can understand that where if a sister sees this and kind of sees the pieces from the outside and goes, eh, I don't know about you. Something, something doesn't seem right here. Mm. Yeah. I would think that they'd have to go over that with like a super fine tooth comb. And uh, let's see here. When we're talking about this, the homicide detectives were out looking at the scene and they had the idea that it might have been staged too, right? Yeah. From everything that I was able to dig up on it, they basically said that the way things were set up and the way the body was, uh, it just didn't seem typical of an overdose. Um, so they were pushing that it, that it may have been staged. And they had found that the heroin was actually in his stomach. So it had been consumed in a manner that that just doesn't. That's not how you do it. That's you did it wrong. You did that's, it wrong. That's pretty much what what they're saying there. That's what you force down somebody's throat yeah. after you've murdered them. Right. Yeah. And okay. so the the police were urging for to have an investigation, and the family kind of was like, "Well, nah, I don't know." You know. Well, I can't imagine this family history here from the Dallas, Texas side of things. The, right. The mob stuff. So I can't imagine they really want the police digging around in their lives. Yeah. Um, and then they said, "What six months after the funeral or the death, then the coroner's changed." 
changed it from a suicide to a homicide? Yeah, the coroner's recategorized it. So there was initially there was a, a chief investigator who deemed it suicide, and it was put in as a suicide. Then the coroner comes back and goes, ah, 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 no. This is a homicide. Now, you know why it took six months, right? Because that's how long lab tests really take. It's never an hour long. Yeah, it's, it's true. Never. I know. Only when you're looking to see if you have strep throat. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> then it's actually like eight minutes, but they make you wait an hour. Yeah. Every other crime show you've ever seen where they send it off to the lab and they get it back. This is... This Don't is ruin Dexter for me right now. Thanks. My apologies. <laughs> so, but yeah, so they did that. And then uh, they, at that point, they decided, okay, it's time to dig into this a little further. And uh, we're going to go ahead and, and see what we can do. So they look into it, uh, the, and they basically came to the, the conclusion that the death scene had been staged, and there were witness statements that implicated Murphy and Tavish, which if you're not putting the pieces together yet, that would be the truck driving owner and his girlfriend. Now, the truck driver owner, the mover, he had a wife, didn't he? Yeah. So he's cheating on his wife with the stripper girlfriend. Who is cheating on the her boy boyfriend. Which is the mobster son, which I got to say, if you were going to pick somebody to cheat on, that seems like a terrible idea. But anyway, the moral of the story is that uh, she she seems like kind of a mastermind, doesn't it? It, it, it presents itself that way, yeah. I, I guess we should say at this time, I don't think she was ever convicted for being a mastermind, was she? She was. Oh, she was. She was, yeah. So in June of 1999, uh, her and Tavish were both arrested for Binia's murder, uh, as well as conspiracy, robbery, grand larceny, and burglary. I'm glad that the justice system was able to catch those two. They caught him for a little while. For a little while? Yeah. So basically there was a long trial. There was like a two-month trial. They were both found guilty. There was 68 hours of deliberation on this. Like, I, I mean, let's be real. I know some people really like jury duty. Almost three days, man. That's a long time to sit in there. Wait, wait. But and that's you're not, not sitting there 24 hours a day. That's not 24. Day. That's, that's got to be like a week of just Yeah, just, just chilling in that room with those other 11 people. I do not enjoy uh, bologna sandwiches that much, and I can't imagine the courthouse is going to spring for, like, you know, gourmet restaurants. No, you get lunchtime, and then they got restaurants in the courthouse. Uh, Come on, you're in Las Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, though, they did end up getting sentenced. Uh, Tavish was sentenced to 25 years to life, and Murphy got 22 years to life. See, now in the, my novice eyes who understands nothing about the legal system, I would say that makes it look like Rick Tavish was the mastermind because he got more years. Yeah, well, he was the one with the code. That's what I look at. Who had the code? What was she going to do? She wasn't going to get that out of there. Oh, that's so crazy. He had the code. There had to. I mean, that's what makes me curious, actually, to know if earlier on. Now we're going down a wormhole here for a minute, guys. This <laughs> is not anything documented. So it makes me wonder if earlier on, prior to Ted Binion contracting with him to move his stuff, did Murphy and Tabish have a relationship prior or know of each other prior and plan that out? Oh, like she said, here, use this guy for the mover. Yeah. yeah oh. Yeah. Again, this is not anything documented, guys. This is just, we're, 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 we're working on a TV sitcom. Yeah, we're, we're spitballing. We're, we're, yeah, there's a pilot episode. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It just seems kind of crazy to me. The more I think about it, the crazier this whole thing gets. So they spent some time in prison uh, doing their thing, and there was some weird stuff that had happened. So in 2003, the Nevada Supreme Court overturned the murder convictions. Now, here's kind of what, from everything I can read into it, what had happened is that the the judge and the attorney that worked on the initial case, they, after that case, were promoted. An attorney went to go be a judge. A judge moved on to something else. And so they start looking back into this case and basically they say in the deposition there was, there was it was erroneous the way that it was done. They convicted Tabish, or they charged Tabish 
with a crime that was from another crime and there should have been a separate trial altogether that he should have had different trials and it should have been split up. And there was a weird stuff that had happened where the Nevada Supreme court's like, Hey, we're going to overturn that. Now this is big news in the day. This is a huge thing. Got the whole city. Oh, it was in giant. It. This is a, uh, this is as jaw dropping as it got back then before, you know, the internet. Yeah. Um, well, I just can't imagine how, how many people would want to get in on a piece of that. So they did still get sentenced, though. They got sentenced again. They they so the murder was was overturned, but they were still sentenced on. Uh, I think it was like conspiracy and burglary, and there was some things that were sentenced on. Now uh, Murphy did end up serving. I don't remember how many years it had said she had served a few years and then was released okay. on parole. Uh, he was was convicted of two crimes. They allowed him. He was. They denied his parole multiple times, all the way up to like 2005. And then he was allowed to serve, basically serve the rest of his sentences uh, in tandem with each other. So they were they were just done at the same time. And then he was given parole in 2010, I believe. Um, but so they they've all been released. They're all out at this point. But now we go to the coins. So the coins initially, when all of this was found, all of this was done, they went to his daughter. Now. From what I can find, some of them went up for public sale. She has some, and there's still some that have not been signed for at the courts. What do you mean signed for? They have not been released. They're still at the courts. They belong to her, but they've never been signed for is what it, what I can find. So they're just sitting on them in an evidence locker somewhere? Yes. That there may still be binion hoard coins that are not accounted for. Or they're accounted for, but they're not out to the public. I might put my devil's advocate hat on real quick here and just say that that is some shady business on the behalf of the justice system there, because it, it seems like be. if they drag their feet long enough and then there's no longer an heir to give them to, like, what, they're just going to keep them all and let the state, state sell it off? Maybe. Oh, that would be shady as all get out. Yeah. Like it's, a, that's what I'm saying. This whole thing is, like, crazy. Right. So this is such a popular thing, such crazy news. It explodes. There's shenanigans going on with the the whole process, legal process. Then they have to review that legal process. They see there's some things that weren't quite done protocol by protocol. Yep. And then they got to let some people get reduced sentences, which is, oh, man, uh, I would love to know if, like, justice was done proper on this. Yeah. One of, this is one of those those things and one of those hordes that has all kinds of crazy information, but it's like you'll never know. There's drugs, sex, murder, betrayal. There's yeah. I feel like at the, the end of, of this, it, there needs to be like the uh, the Unsolved Mysteries song needs to be playing or something because <laughs> yeah, that's how I feel. Like You know what I mean? Like You hear about this. You hear about the people that are now released. It's like when you watched Unsolved Mysteries as a kid and then you went on a car ride with your parents and you thought everybody you saw in the car next to you was the guy from Unsolved Mysteries. Totally, completely. Weird. Again, before the internet, though. It's like, you know, Long before the internet. Now all you got to do is Google it. Google it. Yeah, we didn't have Google then. <laughs> Weird. Okay. So, yeah, guys, we uh, the Binion Horde, I mean, this this horde is, is huge. This is a huge part of coin history. Well, and the cool thing is, though, so these coins that got sold off at auction, they weren't just um, they weren't just raw coins. They got sent off uh, to PCGS and NGC. Mm-hmm. Or was it NGC only? NGC. Okay, so NGC uh, got the coins. They graded them. So you can actually go out and buy a Morgan dollar or a coin from the Binion Horde, and it'll say right on there in a special green and white holder, Binion, Binion Horde. Binion Horde. And then you know that that was one of these 
one of these many coins tied up in this. And I that's, got, that's crazy. I got to tell you, working here for over a year now, and I can see um, I see customers come in all the time, and the first question out of their mouths is, do you have anything from the Binion Horde? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's just kind of cool. These hordes have such great stories behind them that it's kind of fun to have a little piece of history that you can then talk about with people and like uh, just just enjoy the, the craziness of the of that moment. Well, in the day that the Binion Horde story is on ID Network, you can like pull your coin out and just rub the holder while you're watching it. Ah, I see you've gone for the super villain entertainment yes, package. Do you exactly. have a spinning chair that you turn around after every commercial break? I do. I do. <laughs> and I have sharks with lasers. Sure. Yeah. So, all right, guys, we're going to wrap this one up. Uh, this one went a little long, but that's okay. It's just interesting stuff. So if you guys have any other questions or comments, comment on all these, all these posts, review the, the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, all the streaming networks. You can grab it anywhere. Shoot us emails. You can shoot it to Raymond at SaharaCoins.net uh, or Thomas at SaharaCoins.net. You have any questions or things you'd like us to cover, we will. Uh, definitely, definitely get in touch with us. So, all right, guys. Anything else, Thomas? You all good? I you good? think that we have covered this. This is a lot of fun, and I'm very excited to get some audience participation in there because when we get that, we can uh, we can really start to put together some stories for you and be more entertaining than we already are. Yeah, well, absolutely. More entertaining looking, anyway. There you go. Yeah. Because you you got the you face, got the face for, for radio. radio. Yeah, you too. There it is. Bingo. <laughs> all right, guys. Have a good one. We hope you've enjoyed listening to the Super Coin Brothers podcast. Keep up to date with the latest episode releases on Spotify, iTunes, or any of your favorite streaming locations. Make sure to follow us on the Super Coin Bros Facebook page as well as the Sahara Coins Facebook page. If you'd like to contact us or have show recommendations, you can email us at service at saharacoins.net. Once again, thank you for listening to the Super Coin Bros podcast. 